We do appreciate the presence of each one. We do have several who are visiting with us today. We're glad you're here. If you're uh, passing through, we appreciate the fact that you stopped in to uh, worship with us, that you've taken the time to worship, and that it's with us. And uh, we hope to have a chance to get to know you a little bit before you have to move on. If you're new to our area, maybe you've moved into the area, you're looking for a local congregation to be a part of, we would welcome the opportunity to talk with you about that, to tell you a little bit about the congregation here, get to know you on that level a little bit uh, today as well. Uh, I don't usually sit up here. I'll just uh, let everybody know that. Uh, if you're visiting, you might wonder about that. Cherry is not feeling well. Uh, she's got a little congestion and runny nose and cough and all of that. She took a test, a COVID test yesterday, came back positive. So I'm trying to keep my distance a little bit. I, don't y'all have to quarantine anymore if you're exposed like that, but uh, maybe keep your distance, wear a mask. And uh, that's what I'm doing, trying to sit up here. Just so don't think I'm being unfriendly if I don't get close and talk, but uh, that's the situation and uh, I'm sure it'll pass in uh, just a, a few days. Singing is great today. Appreciate everybody that's led us in various ways, leading prayer, leading singing, comments at the table. Hope the sermon will be all right. The highlight of the service has got to be DeWitt pronouncing those Old Testament names today. What a, what a good job he did and uh, appreciate that a great deal. He didn't just scan that over before he got into the pulpit today and, and read that. He, he had practiced, he was ready, he was prepared, and, and uh, that's what it takes in those kinds of situations, and I appreciate that. And he's not the only one to handle it so well. There have been others as well. That's a difficult reading, and uh, appreciate the, just the good work that has been done. All right, let's think about our sermon for today. If you have raised a teenager, or if you've been a teenager, and that covers a lot of us in, in the audience today, if you've raised a teenager or are raising a teenager, or if you've been a teenager, you know that maturity is a deceitful thing. It's typical for young adults to think they're more mature than they actually are. If you're raising a teenager, you know that to be true. Or if you've been a teenager, you know that to be true. You can look back at your life and you can think, boy, you know, when I was that age, I sure thought I was grown up. I had a lot to learn. I wasn't nearly as mature, nearly as grown up as I, I, thought, I thought I was. The problem is not limited to teenagers, however. There are lots of adults who lack maturity as well, and they're selfish and impulsive and hurtful and irresponsible behavior demonstrate that. You know men and women who are full-grown men and women, and they're not any more mature than they were when they were teenagers. That might be a little bit of an overstatement, but just by the way they behave, they demonstrate, they manifest their lack of maturity. People can be awfully immature and not realize it. And so they think they're mature, but they're not. Our interest in this lesson is not so much uh, chronological maturity or physical maturity or social maturity, spiritual maturity. Sometimes we can think we're spiritually mature when we're really immature. We're not nearly as mature spiritually as we think we are or even as we ought to be. And so we're going to look at a passage today that addresses that idea. 
Hebrews chapter 5. And so turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading in verse 11 and make some points about spiritual maturity and developing spiritual maturity. This, this passage really grows out of Paul's mention of the man Melchizedek. He's sort of a mysterious figure from the Old Testament. His story is told in just three verses in the Old Testament, Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. He's alluded to in one other passage, and so he's only mentioned twice, really, in the Old Testament, that passage in Genesis and then Psalm 110. We know his name, Melchizedek, but we're not told who his parents are. Remember in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll read about a person, and he'll be the son of this one. Who's the son of this one? Who's the son of this one? Don't have that with Melchizedek. Don't know who his parents were. We don't know where he was born. We know he lived in Salem, but was he born in Salem? Well, we don't, don't know that for sure. We don't know his age when Abraham encountered him. We don't know when he was born. We're not told when he died. He, he just appears. Don't have any background. And after this very brief appearance, we don't know anything else about the rest of his life. We do know a few things about him. We know that he is living in Salem, and he was the king there. He was the king of Salem, or Jerusalem. He was a priest of God Most High. Now, how he learned about God Most High and those kind of things, we don't know. But we know that he knew the true God and that he was a priest of God. And so he was king and priest. And that's a little unusual in the Old Testament, but Melchizedek combined both of those offices. Abraham encounters him in Genesis chapter 14, and Abraham acknowledges his superior position. Now, we might think of Abraham as the greatest man of his time, and we wouldn't be far wrong, but even Abraham acknowledged Melchizedek's great greatness. The, the, the text tells us that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the Hebrew, the, the book of Hebrews tells us that, well, it's very clear that the lesser is, great, is blessed by the greater. And so our curiosity is sort of stimulated about Melchizedek. We want to know more about him. We're not the only ones to have that curiosity. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain a document called the Heavenly Prince Melchizedek. And in this document, Melchizedek is a kind of a heavenly figure who rescues the saints from the power of Satan. And so during that period of time, that's about 100 B.C., during that period of time there were people who were kind of speculating about this man, Melchizedek. Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, Melchizedek is mentioned. And the writer says, now I'd like to tell you a lot of things or make a lot of uh, develop this idea of Melchizedek or develop what I want to say about him more, but I'm handicapped. Uh, I really can't do what I would like to do with regard to Melchizedek because he says, you become dull of hearing. And then that brings us into our passage. And so let's begin in verse 11. Concerning him, that is concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant." 
But solid food is for the mature who because of the uh, practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now this is a pretty scathing rebuke of the original readers. They should have been teachers. They've been Christians long enough. They should have learned enough to be able to teach others. But, but really they, they'd regressed it seems like because the writer says, you, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Well, I don't want to concentrate so much on it as a rebuke, but I just want to draw out from the passage just a couple of things, a couple of marks, a couple of characteristics of spiritually mature people. What can we learn from this passage that will help us gauge our own spiritual maturity? Are we as spiritual as we think we are? Are we as mature spiritually as we ought to be? Well, here are a couple of characteristics to look for in our own lives that might help us answer that question. Are we where we ought to be, or do we have some work to do in these areas? Well, as I said a moment ago, it's a pretty scathing rebuke. And the author makes an unflattering comparison. Now, you've been Christians for some time now, but you haven't grown and developed and mature. In fact, I've got to treat you as if you were babies. Now again, that's, that's not a flattering comparison, but that's the comparison that he makes. Uh, that you, you're, 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 you need milk. You're, you're like an infant who can drink and only digest and handle milk. The elementary principles of the oracles of God. And so I would like to discuss these things about Melchizedek, which is a little bit advanced, but I've got to, I've got to get this down to the K through 3 level. So you can understand it. See, elementary, K through 3 is elementary school. And so I've got to teach you only the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You should have been able to understand more complicated elements of the doctrine of Christ, but you can't. And what's their problem? Now, they, they, they can only digest milk. They can only handle the elementary principles. What's the problem? Well, the problem is you're not accustomed to the Word. You're not accustomed to the Word of righteousness. Now, you've had enough time to develop in your knowledge and understanding of the Word, but you haven't taken advantage of that, and so you're unaccustomed to the Word of righteousness. Or we might say you're unacquainted with the Word of righteousness. You're unskilled in the Word of righteousness. You're without experience in the Word of righteousness. Think of a, a carpenter or someone like that, and, and he's, he's, he's on the job. Maybe he's worked in that field for, for several years, and he has his way of doing things. He has his tools that he uses and he's, he's good with. And then somebody introduces a new tool. And he, he, they, they say, this is, this is an improvement on what we've got. We're going to be able to do a, a whole lot more with this new tool than with the old tools. And the carpenter... He uses it a little bit, fumbles around, uh, fumbles around with it, doesn't use it very well. And, oh, oh, why, why, why doesn't he have any skill with it? He hasn't spent enough time with it. Has he? he doesn't have any experience with it. He doesn't know how it works. He's just unfamiliar with it. And maybe over time he can learn to use it, but, but at first he, he, he just, he's unskilled because he hasn't had enough time with it. He's unaccustomed to it. When we, uh, when we first got cell phones, and all of us were like this when cell phones first came out, 
why would I need a cell phone? What would I do with a cell phone? I can remember, I can remember uh, those kinds of ideas and maybe even making those kinds of statements. But over time, we get our cell phone, we see what it can do, we learn about it, we can use it, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Well, that's the way we are with the Word of God sometimes. Now, we're not able to handle more complicated elements of the Word because we haven't spent enough time with the Word. We're unacquainted with it. We're inexperienced with it. We're unskilled with it, just like that carpenter unskilled with the tool because he's unacquainted with it. We're unskilled with the Word because we haven't acquainted ourselves with it. You know, a person that's accustomed to or acquainted with the Word should be able to establish support for doctrines that are taught in the Word. And so here's a doctrine that we ought to be familiar with. It's, it's fundamental. If we're accustomed to the Word and acquainted with it, we're going to be able to pull Scripture together in support of that doctrine, right? Or we're able to develop ideas that recur through the Bible. Here's an idea, here's a theme that recurs through the Bible. The coming Messiah, for example. Or we should be able to go back into the Old Testament. If we are acquainted with the Word and accustomed to the Word and we have lots of experience, we have enough skill to go back and trace this idea through the Old Testament right up to the New. The Kingdom of God, the same way. If we're experienced with the Word or acquainted with the Word, we can go back into the Old Testament, we can develop this idea through the Old Testament right up into the New, so that when we get into a conversation with someone, we can direct them to what the Bible has to say. And so we need to be acquainted with the Word. Uh, the, the readers were immature because they were unacquainted with the Word or inexperienced, and as a result they were unskilled. And so we can say it this way, if the, if the immature are unacquainted with the Word, the mature, the spiritually mature, would be acquainted with the Word, skilled with the Word, experienced with the Word. Now let's think about that. <laughs> now, am I experienced with the Word? Do I have any skill in handling the Word? Now, you know, I, I, I know there are, there's always room to improve. And uh, it's a lifelong learning situation, I understand that. But, but do, I have any, do I have any experience with the Word? That's a mark of spiritual maturity. See, these people are immature because they were unaccustomed to the Word. And so when, when the writer says, you know, I wanted to talk to you more about Melchizedek, but I'm unable to but because of your inexperience with the Word. That, that's, that was a problem. Here's a second characteristic of spiritual maturity. He goes on in the next verse to say, but solid food is for the mature. And what's the characteristic of the mature? Because of practice they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so a spiritually mature person has his senses trained to discern good and evil. He's full grown. He's mature. He has his senses. What are, the, what are the senses? The faculties, the mental and intellectual powers or abilities. And so you have the intellectual ability to discern, to distinguish between good and evil and right and wrong because you've been trained by experience. And so when he says that you're... Uh, 
have their senses trained to discern good and evil because of practice? That's just another way of saying experience, right? But because of your life experience, the use of what you know to be right and wrong, your use of the Scripture in life experience, you have some expertise in discerning good and evil. Or we might say right and wrong, godly and worldly, wise and foolish. So a spiritually mature person has the intellectual ability to distinguish between what's wise and foolish, good and evil, right and wrong, because of their experience. And so, spiritually mature people make good decisions because they can distinguish between right and wrong. Do you you know anybody who in life makes the same mistakes over and over and over again? I've encountered some people like that. Unfortunately, sometimes women are that way. In in my observation or in my experience, here's a woman and and she's got a relationship with a man and he's kind of mean to her. He's kind of a jerk. He's unkind. He's harsh in his dealings with her, in her words and deeds. And that that relationship lasts for a little while and, and then it breaks up. And then after a little while, I find out, oh, she's in another relationship. It's the same guy. (laughs) I don't mean literally the same guy. Same kind of guy. And then that that rocks on for a a while, and then that ends, and then she gets in another relationship. It's the same kind of guy over and over again. You're You're not learning from your experience. You're not paying attention to, the, to, to your mistakes and the decisions that you've made that end up badly for you. You may, know, you may know people like that. They're not paying attention. And so they haven't learned to distinguish between good and evil. And so we need information. We need to become accustomed to the Word. And then we need to learn from our experience and develop the ability to distinguish between good and evil or right and wrong. Sometimes people have the will to make good decisions, but they lack the practice. They want to do what's right. They want to make good decisions, but they just don't have enough life experience to make good decisions. They think this will be a great decision, and they make that decision, but but it just doesn't turn out well but they just don't have the the experience to make a better one. That's true of a young person. A young person might want to make the right decision but not have enough experience to know which is wise and which is foolish. But there's hope for that person, isn't there? They have the will to learn, so they'll learn from their mistakes. (laughs) Might be otherwise for other people. And so the mature are acquainted with the Word and are able to distinguish between good and evil And so in light of those things, how would you say you're doing? How how are we doing in the development of spiritual maturity? Uh, are, Are we growing accustomed to the Word? Are we learning the Word? Are we becoming experienced with the Word? Are we paying attention to life's experiences, things we do right, things we do wrong, things we do well, things we don't do so well? We're paying attention to that as we carry out, as we live out the Word, and so we're learning to discern good and evil. So how are we doing in that? How are we doing? 
Now remember, evaluating our own maturity level is, is kind of difficult. It can be deceptive sometimes, and so you got to be honest with yourself. And it may be that after a little self-examination, we, we, we decide, you know, uh, there, I, I, re I really need to make some progress. I hope that's not an evaluation of the sermon. <laughs> but we might look at ourselves and say, you know, I, I really need to do better. I, need, I may need to make some progress in that area. So that brings us then to the third point. We're going to add chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Now again, this is a, really a lifelong uh, life process, lifelong process. And all of us, no matter where we are on the maturity scale, have progress to make. But, but some of us, you know, we, we really need to take this very seriously. Let us press on to maturity. Maturity in personal development, which will result in the ability to handle maturity in doctrine. There are, if you think about it, there are several passages in the Bible that encourage this idea. There are several, for example, from the books of, book of 2 Peter. Look at these, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. This is the, the passage where Peter says, In all diligence, uh, supply to your faith moral excellence, and your moral excellence knowledge, and your knowledge self-control, and your self-control perseverance, and so forth. What is he saying other than you need to grow in your maturity? In chapter 2, in verse 2, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, let's say this verse 1, uh, well, let's say I think really what I want is 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 2, like newborn babies long for the spiritual milk so that you may grow in respect to salvation. And then 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, there, and of course, there are lots of examples and a lot of passages that deal with that idea of growing and developing and adding this or that to our faith. Another similar passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. And so you've received instruction as to how to walk and please God, but you need to excel. You need to, you need to do better. You need to grow. You need to advance. You need to mature. So there are lots of examples of that in, in Scripture. So in practical terms, how do we do that? How do, how do we grow in our spiritual maturity? Well, if spiritual maturity relates to being acquainted with the Word, you've got to read the Word. <laughs> and so part of their problem was that they were unaccustomed to the Word. How do you solve that problem? You get accustomed to the Word. You become acquainted with the Word. How many of us have a, and I'm not really asking you to show your hands, but how many have a daily reading plan? How many of us have a daily reading plan? Read the Bible every day or five days a week or whatever it might be. You know, there are really no shortcuts to learning the Word. You can't put a Bible under your pillow at night and, and expect the information just to kind of leak into the, to the brain. It just doesn't work. There are no shortcuts. Got to spend time in the Word, reading the Word. How, how many have a weekly study plan? 
That's W-E-E-K-L-Y, weekly study plan. For how many of us is the most exposure to the Bible we get is the reading on Sunday morning and Sunday night? I encountered a man like that. He said, I don't really need to read the Bible that much. I hear it read in church. <laughs> is, that, is that the most that we get? Well, if, if that's true, no, no wonder we're unacquainted with the Word. The 119th Psalm, the writer says, Your Word I have treasured up in my heart so that I might not sin against you. We need to be treasuring up the Word in our heart. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies and so forth. And so, we need to spend time in the Word. Now, spending time in the Word is not the same as listening to preaching. That's not spending time in the Word. Hopefully, the preacher will direct you to the Word, but you need to spend your own time with your own Bible, reading the Word, doing it regularly. And it's not the same as learning what others say about the Word. That's, that's, not, that's not it either. Studying the Word for yourself, reading your Word, doing your own work. And so, how do we become more spiritually mature? Work out for yourself a daily reading plan. Commit to it. And it may be that one day you kind of wake up and think, you know, I haven't been reading the way I should. Okay, well, then get back to it. <laughs> Sometimes we think, well, I haven't been reading the way I should. I guess I'll just quit. No, no. Just, just get back on it. As we say, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives, and so don't give up on it. Read with intent. I've discovered an, an amazing skill that I've got. It's really remarkable, actually. I was thinking about it the other day. Here, here's what I can do. I, I can read this paragraph. I can read every single word in it. When I get to the end of the paragraph, I can think, you know, i got no idea what I just read. Because my mind has been over here somewhere. I'm wondering if the Braves are going to catch the Mets or whatever, whatever it is, you know. I've read every word. I have no idea what it says. That's, that's remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> I don't suppose I'm the only one like that. So that's not reading with intent. And so what I need to do is just, okay, Bob, you got to get your focus back on what you're reading. Need to read that paragraph again. And this time concentrate a little bit more on it, you know. Read regularly. Read with intent. Develop a learning plan. Our goal is to control the material so that we can recall it when we want access to it. That's our goal with the Bible. I want to control the material so that when I want access to it from my brain, I can bring it up, I can recall it. For my own benefit, to resist temptation and dialogue with others. That's, that's our goal with reading Scripture. And then if maturity comes as a result of training our senses to discern good and evil, well then we need to start paying attention to what's going on in the world around us. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5, Haggai says to, to, to the people, consider your ways. Consider your That's what we need to do. Consider your ways. Israel was experiencing the consequences of their poor choices. They needed to think about why these things were happening to them. 
and learn. Consider your ways. Why is, why are these things happening to you? There's a reason for it. And so we need to think about that. Now here's a good illustration of someone who learned from their mistakes. Remember in 1 Chronicles 13, David was going to transport the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. Didn't work out too well. The next time they tried to transport it, they carried it the way God had told them to do it. And so he considered his ways. He thought about what he had done. He saw the mistake that he had made, and so he did better. His senses were becoming trained, weren't they, to discern good and evil. Other passages encourage us to think about how we ought to live our lives, our choices, why we make certain choices, what are our motivations and goals. The fourth psalm says, meditate on your heart, meditate in your heart on your bed, and be still. Meditate in your heart. You do some thinking about your life, why you're making the decisions you're making, and what the outcome of those decisions might be. Galatians 6 and verse 4, a man must examine his own work. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6 tell us to examine ourselves and test ourselves. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In verse 26, watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Watch, watch where you're going. Think about where you're stepping, and you'll make good decisions. You know? So here's, here are two elements in spiritual maturity. Acquaintance with the Word, having trained senses that are able to distinguish right and wrong. How, how, do we, how do we become more mature? Become more acquainted with the Word and develop those senses through our experience. Okay, just a few minutes to go. Let, let me just make a few observations about some areas where the spiritually mature will make good decisions. Choosing friends. You know, uh, we need a level of spiritual maturity to decide who our close companions will be and, and who they won't be. You know, an immature person will look at the superficial factors. Oh, he makes me laugh. Oh, he has such a great personality. Oh, we have such a good time when we're together. It's so much fun. But a spiritually mature person will see, yeah, that's true, but you know, it gets me into trouble. Or you know, he's dragging me down. Or he's not really helping me in areas where I need help. Or he's pulling me away spiritually from what I've committed to do, what I know I ought to do. And so an immature person just looks at the superficial when choosing friends. But a spiritually mature person is able to look beyond those things and see, well, here's someone who helps me. They encourage me. They support my spiritual commitments. And they encourage me in that. They have the same commitments. That's who I need to hang around with. Those people like that need to be my friends. And so we, we got to be mature in making these kinds of decisions. Understand, iron sharpens iron, and evil companions corrupt good morals. How to dress. It's another area where the spiritually mature will make good decisions. Dressing modestly has been a challenge for Christian women, and I'll just add for men as well, but mainly for women, for the last 60 years at least. So I was born in 1957. I had two older sisters, and we all grew up, and they were a little bit older than me, 
in the 1960s. In the middle 1960s, the miniskirt was, uh, was introduced. And uh, I was eight years old in 1965. My sisters were a little bit older. And so their middle school, high school age, when all of, the, all of this hits, and I can remember the, the challenge. I'll just say it that way. I can remember the kind of the, the conflict. Not, not that my sisters were rebellious or, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the old man said. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was just a couple of Christian girls in, in public school under pressure from that side of their life to conform. All, all of us could, would feel that. And, and since that time until now, dressing modestly has been a challenge for Christian women. But you see, spiritually mature people will look beyond fashion trends and dressed in a manner consistent with godliness. Isn't that the standard? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, women are encouraged to dress modestly with sobriety, with shamefastness, as women professing godliness. And so a spiritually mature person who has a knowledge of the Word, you see, that's a, a characteristic of the spiritually mature, a, a, a knowledge of the Word, and she's kept her eyes open, and he's kept his eyes open to the world around, is able, based on their training, to discern good and evil. Well, this is right, this is wrong, this is good judgment, this is bad judgment, uh, this is wise, this is foolish, and, and make a, con a decision consistent with godliness. That's what we're trying to produce. We're trying to produce men and women with spiritual maturity who are able to make their own decisions make good, godly, distinguished decisions, able to distinguish between uh, good and evil. Balancing career and family responsibilities. Alan talked about this in class this morning. The spiritually immature sees only the money that can be made by devoting more time to, to career. I can make more money. We can live in a better neighborhood. We can drive nicer car, cars. We can have better clothes. And so the spiritually immature sees only the money that can be made from devoting more of self to career. But the mature understands his God-given role in the family and how important his presence is to his family. Well, you know, there's that promise of a promotion and a higher position in the company and more responsibility and more money, but it's also going to take me away from my children more. I don't have enough time, I'm not going to have enough time with them. And so, see, the spiritually mature is going to be able to make a wise decision when it comes to those things. And he may end up turning down more money to spend more time with his family. And so, those are just three examples, just three areas where if we're spiritually mature, we're going to make good, godly decisions. If we're not mature, we're not going to make those wise decisions because we don't have the foundation. We're not accustomed to the Word, and we don't have our senses trained and exercised to tell the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, wise and unwise. You know, one of the challenges of, of preaching is that sometimes you preach a sermon that applies more to one section of the group than others. You, know, you don't really want to do that. You want your sermons to apply to everybody, but 
But if you're talking about the family, for example, not everybody has a family. Not everybody is married and has children and things like that. So they're there. You try to include in your sermon uh, material that, that applies to everybody, but if you're focused on this subject, maybe not as much to some as to others. And that, that's a kind of a challenge in preaching. Here's a sermon that includes everybody. <laughs> this sermon applies to us all because we're all trying to develop that spiritual maturity that we need to have. Maybe maturity is a little bit, bit like humility. The people who think they need to cultivate it are maybe the ones that already have it. And the ones that think they have it, maybe they don't. You ever heard anybody say, well, you know, one thing I am, I, I'm humble. <laughs> well, that might be a kind of an indication that they're not. Maybe maturity is that way. Well, I'm, I'm a, maybe the people who think they have it don't. At least maybe not as much as they need to have. And the ones who think, you know, I really need to grow, I need to develop, there's area for me to improve, <laughs> maybe they're the ones that are more mature than others. The book of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9 sort of ends up on a positive note. Verse 9, the writer says, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we're speaking in this way. I, I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do better. I know you're going to apply yourself unto salvation. And that's my motivation for talking to you like this. We all need to improve ourselves in these ways, and so that's why we've talked about them this morning. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together uh, like we have today and encourage each other and sing together and pray together and, and uh, talk to each other. Such an encouragement to us. Help us, Father, to, uh, uh, to appreciate this opportunity and, and uh, gain the most from it, the very, the very most we're able to do. Help us, Father, to see ourselves as we truly are, to see ourselves as you see us, and help us to improve and grow and mature in the way that you would have us to do those things. Help us, Father, to become more acquainted with the Word, more experienced with it, and more skilled with it. Help us, Father, to train our senses through practice so that we can distinguish good and evil, wise and foolish, right from wrong, and that we can make decisions that are consistent with godliness, the way that you would have us to make those decisions. Father, we know we can do it. We know with your help that we can do these things, and we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning subject to the invitation, it's, it's extended. If you're a believer ready to repent of your sins,